Octa Non Verba is a show that's raw and real, featuring hard-hitting interviews with people that live by the ethos of actions, not words. Marcus Aurelius Anderson is a TEDx speaker, best-selling author, veteran, and leadership and mindset coach. With this show, you get to join Marcus as he goes inside the minds and experiences of the world's most successful warriors, leaders, entrepreneurs, and experts. With each episode, you're going to get the philosophies, concepts, tactics, and strategies these leaders use to turn adversity into victory. Live an extraordinary life based on actions, not words. Now, here's your host, Marcus Aurelius Anderson. Octa non verba is a Latin phrase that means actions, not words. If you want to know what somebody truly believes, don't listen to their words. Instead, observe their actions. I'm Marcus Aurelius Anderson, and my guest today truly embodies that phrase. Bo Simmons, one of the producers of the 20-Year War Veterans Coffee Table book, is a photographer and designer of the book who specializes in fine art photography and spent over 12 years in the fashion and the celebrity industry between Los Angeles and New York. Now, you can find out more about his specific work at bosimmonsphotography.com and check out his Instagram. It is a powerful cross-section of his work. It's a great visual representation of his Americana style that is heavily influenced towards preserving the moments of a lost era in today's society. Now, the book that we're going to be discussing at length today, The 20-Year War, was produced by Bo, along with Army Rangers Dan Blakely and Tom Amenta. Now, listen, I am a big reader, and I can tell you that this book is breathtaking, it is personal, and it is raw. It has 71 gripping stories that you will not read anywhere else. The 20-Year War is a look into the journeys of American service members fighting in and then leaving behind a war spanning over two decades. These 71 stories come from people like former professional football player and Green Beret Nate Boyer and former UFC fighter and current active member of the Special Forces Tim Kennedy to give you an indication of the caliber of warriors in this tremendous book. You can pre-order the book at 20yearwar.com. Bo, thank you so much for being here today, and thank you for letting me put a long string on that kite. I wanted to give everybody a lot of context, and that way they know about you, they know about this work that you guys are doing, and why it's so important to really put it in there. So thank you so much today. Hey, first off, Marcus, thank you for having me on. First, you know, ahead of my co-producers, Tom and, and Dan, it's a pleasure to be on your show, and, and I'm very looking forward to this episode. Yeah, I am as well, and I know that there's going to be a lot of people that are going to want to hear it. We were talking earlier before we hit record about the fact that while you had that spirit of a warrior in the Americana and the the cowboy influence, so to speak, you're not actually a veteran. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. I won't drag on too much about my past, but I was one of the guys that enlisted in the Marine Corps when I was 17. So I was still underage, did it behind my parents' back. They kind of caught on to it. And I think we're four at the beginning, but this was back in 2006. And so I believe the war was still heavily going on. Once my dad found out kind of the MOS that I was going to be going into, he didn't want me to go over. And obviously, uh, my co-producer, Dan Blakely, has been my childhood friend since I was five. So when my dad caught wind of from his family that he was an Army Ranger and was dealing with some of the heavy stuff over there, I think my parents just didn't want their only son to be overseas. Definitely angered me at the time, but uh, I think a year later, I was very appreciative to follow my other passion in photography. Well, and it's part of the artist journey, right? Correct. Exactly. Yeah. So this is my my way of kind of having a little bit of that self-guilt, but still giving back to veterans. It gives a tremendous amount of momentum into the intention behind your work as well, right? Absolutely. You know, obviously, I know we'll get more into it, but I mean, I think this is one of the most real projects in my photography career that I've ever worked on. And I'm just very fortunate enough to work with these men and women that have served the country. The way that you capture everything, that your style, mm-hmm. very gritty, very no-nonsense. You don't shoot digitally, which 
Now, some people may not know what that means, but uh, my wife is a photographer of 18 years. She has her own studio. She's a portrait photographer. And when I told her I was interviewing you and she saw the medium format that she was like, wow, he does it like that, which means he's using real film people. So that means that as opposed to just a shotgun blast of trying to capture a bunch of images, he's very intentional. He's squeezing that shutter. He's making sure that what he captures is exactly what he wants in that moment as opposed to trying to get a bunch of things that he can composite or maybe, you know, try to have somebody put together in uh, Photoshop. That's exactly right. I mean, and, and to really sum it up for people listening, you know, if you're working with medium format film, you only have 10 exposures that you can shoot on one roll of film. And it's very expensive. Uh, for the most part, um, besides this project, I develop my own film um, or I send it out to labs that I truly trust. But to find film labs nowadays is kind of few and far between. So I just like to practice that lost art of film from the, you know, 70s and 80s. And I absolutely love the medium of it. It's just, it's real. It's, it's gritty. It's natural. You're not editing people's faces and it's tangible. You know, when you get that film stripped back and you're looking at it under like a, you know, a dark light, you're just amazed at some of the stuff that you're able to capture. And again, that comes back to that idea of the composition of the piece, of the shot, of the way that you want it to look. You're using natural light. You don't have a whole bunch of people trying to hold flash around for you, which is important because it captures the realness and the organicness of that moment. Yeah, I deal with all those setups. I mean, when I was working in Los Angeles and New York, um, I was working with guys like Usher, you know, as far as a celebrity goes, and then a lot of the high fashion modeling agencies. I just got really burned out, you know, when you're working with a team of like 20 plus people and you're under studio lights and makeup and designers and stylists, you're just, it gets a bit overwhelming and there's not to hate on it, but there's nothing really real about it. Every shoot kind of feels the same. And I feel like I'm more a photojournalist at heart. What you're creating creates a story and it represents that. That's the beauty of, of the medium that you have, because when you have your soul in it, that comes across to the person who's really taking it in. But again, if there's a lot of people that are just trying to, you know, look at this newest uh, thing of Usher, nothing, nothing, there's anything wrong with that, but yeah, that just didn't resonate with you for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so we will get into the book, but I want to unpack your, your journey just a little bit because a lot of people don't seem to understand how do you go from being in LA and New York shooting all these big celebrities and now you're taking these incredible images like you have on Instagram and on your website. Sure. From start to finish, the, the process of that journey was more me doing it for a little over 12 years, um, fashion and celebrity industry. I was all self-taught. So I you know, went to like an art institute in North Hollywood and I dropped out after four months. Um, I just realized that I was a, a troublemaker growing up. <laughs> I barely graduated from high school with like a 1.8 GPA. And when I graduated, I didn't even get my diploma. I didn't get to walk. I had to go to summer school just to finish up a class that I flunked my senior year and then got my diploma mailed to me. And uh, I think, I think I just felt I let my family down and I kind of let myself down. So in those early years of college, I made this funny promise to myself to see, all right, you're not stupid. Let's go to college, see if we can get a 4.0. If we can make that happen and we're not learning anything, let's drop out. So I went in, I got a 4.0 for the first four months, Wow! but I realized that the classes I was taking for digital film and production, I was learning like the basics of like how to open Photoshop. And I was like, I've trained myself how to do all this and not to, you know, knock on it, but I just felt like there was a bigger purpose. And I was like, I don't want to be $150,000 in debt after four years. I want to leave this. And if I'm really, truly passionate, I'll find a way to do it on my own. So fast forward, I moved into a small little place in Laguna Beach, just south of LA. And uh, I remember I was renting a room for like 200 bucks, sharing it with a buddy of mine. You know, after a year or two, I moved into uh, 
another place with a roommate, had my own room and uh, upgraded a little bit and was working, you know, kind of getting to know people in LA one job to the next. It was like, you know, American Eagle, Wrangler, stuff like that. Those high commercial brands. And I started to build a portfolio. I really fell in love with it, but I think I just got too carried away. And the typical scene of when you're in that industry is you're kind of going to like these fashion events every night of the week. You kind of become, at least for me, I was becoming very shallow from, you know, a small town desert kid from Joshua Tree, California. I started to like, you know, only date like these models and my friends were in the industry and I just became this like very egotistical kind of guy. I was slowly losing myself and slipping away from the man that my dad and mom raised me to be. I think after about my 12th year in it, literally overnight, I, I cold turkey quit like a drug addict would. And I basically called up all my retainers, my contracts with companies and was basically like, I'm going to finish this contract out when I'm done. I'm not going to resign a contract. I don't want to do this anymore. After about two months, because it was towards the end of a lot of my contracts, I packed up my things and I went on a month long road trip across America, photographing horse ranches, because I always fell in love with kind of the cowboy way and and getting to know like Wranglers and, you know, kind of the, the last tough men, I would say, in America besides, you know, veterans and other areas. And so I just fell more in love with the process of the documentary side of photographing America. And that actually led me up to work on a project with the veteran organization Heroes and Horses. I met the owner, Micah Fink. Basically, I was working on a project where it was six artworks that I was selling for people's homes and a portion of those proceeds were going towards Heroes and Horses, which helps veterans with PTSD and other psychological trauma. They rehabilitate them through the use of wild horses. After that project, I moved my life from California to North Carolina to be closer to Dan and just wanted to completely change my life. We started talking about this project of the book just a few short months after me moving and it's kind of just gone on from there. So sorry to drag that out, but that's kind of like the the start to finish. Yeah. And the reason I wanted to unpack that was because people that are listening to this, they're, they're warriors, they're veterans, they're active. Mm-hmm. They're also CEOs. They're also leaders. They're entrepreneurs. Yeah. So your journey is very much what the entrepreneurial journey is, where mm-hmm. you think this is what you want going to school. You take all these classes, you realize that's not what you need. And frankly, had you finished up that all out, you might've lost that thirst yeah. to do what you're doing now. So you had the belief in yourself and the balls to say, I'm going to go out and do this. And wherever the chips fall, they fall. I learned something in the process. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people right now, whether they're in a nine to five with a side hustle, whether their business has survived last year, but now they're afraid to double down and be aggressive. Listen to what he's saying. The path before you is not always going to be easily, perfectly lit and well-maintained. Often you will just have a direction. Yeah. And sometimes the direction is simply the idea that I don't want to go where I was. I'm going to go 180 of whatever the hell this is. Yep. And I'm going to push through whatever the hell this thing is. And I want to find something. And then I'm just going to keep going through with that. But to have the courage to look inside and to find out, like you said, you weren't the person that your parents had raised. And so many people right now, they lose sight of that because there's so many other things that are pushed on top of them. So they don't even know where that person is. I think there's just so many distractions for us now that it's 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 really hard to to accept who you truly are. I think a lot of us don't like to be challenged. We don't like to, to personally grow. We think that we've hit our, our max capacity and we, we haven't. And so, you know, I look at entrepreneurs and this is person for myself and, and I'm sure a lot of people listening will agree, but there's some people that can live in a kiddie pool and stand up and have plenty of room to breathe to where every situation I've thrown my end, I'm, you know, basically up to my chin in water. And I think that putting myself in the deep end 
and realizing that um, college and barely passing high school and, uh, you know, putting my ass to the fire every single time, it, it's a very tough lesson to learn from because I would say my life wasn't very organized up until my late 20s. And I was always trying to rush to, I want to buy my house at 25. Why is this 21 year old have a house before I do? Constantly comparing myself to others. And I think that as entrepreneurs, you're kind of always taking chances and you're always putting yourself out there and you're kind of just throwing you know, went to the fire and basically, okay, here goes, I'm going to go all in, whatever happens, happens. And I think that's been every situation in my life so far. I love that idea that we're not hitting our, the maximum capacity that we could. Mm -hmm. Bruce Lee said it beautifully. He says, there are no limits. There are plateaus. Yep. The plateaus get longer and longer, the further you go. But most people, if they've never done something before, they don't know what an F-stop is, or they don't know how to push the settings on their camera before sunset. They won't understand that there's a lot more to go from that place, but because they knew absolutely nothing, oh, yeah. they're like, oh, I'm so much better. Well, because you didn't know anything, but now that you're getting to this place and now you're reaching mastery, now you have this soul in the game, it really changes what's important to you. And like you said, what you're willing to give up in the process. Absolutely. And I think with anything you do, there is that stereotypical saying that you give something 10 years, but it is true. Like you really have to give something almost 10 years or 10,000 hours or whatever you want to go by. Yeah. But that number 10, I feel like is so true because even when I was in Los Angeles, I don't think I really, let's hypothetically say I caught a break to where I was kind of making the income that I was wanting to make. I don't think that happened until close to 10 years. It was me struggling to get by living off $100 in my bank account after all bills are paid, yeah. eating top ramen and just trying to make it. But, you know, it's, um, it's all part of the process. And uh, I'm just very fortunate that the process has taken me to this point. I always talk about adversity, about the, the notion that adversity is, is a gift because it doesn't show us who we are. It strips away all the shit that we're not. Yeah, exactly. And so you get down to brass tacks to what, like you said, what's really important. If I can survive in this room at $200 a month and be able to chase this thing. And mm -hmm. I love what you did where you had this notion of, listen, I'm putting a time frame on how long I'm going to attack college. And I had this metric that I want to hit, which is a 4.0 yeah. to prove to yourself that you can do it. Yeah. Clearly you can. We know that school is not difficult. It's just about if you're willing to put in that time or prioritize whatever that is at that moment. But then because you had that kind of intelligence and self-knowledge, you were able to realize quickly, there's nowhere that I want to go with this. I want to go this direction. Yeah. And I, nobody can give you self-knowledge. You have to acquire it the hard way. Yeah. And I think for me personally, it was what you just said. It was, it was being disciplined and, and wanting to really buckle down and focus because in high school, I was just, you know, chasing girls like usual, going to the parties every weekend, getting in fist fights every other week and getting suspended and stuff. And it was just kind of like, you know, I grew up in a desert area where there's nothing to do. And I just was almost trying to prove myself and be accepted by everybody. So the second I kind of let all that go and really buckled down, was like, you're not a dumb guy. You're very smart. You can show yourself that you can do it. Just sit down in class every day. You know, don't goof off. Stop chasing women for a small portion of your, your life and, and go after the things that uh, that are important. That's when I started seeing, the, you know, the grades come in, even for four months. And I know a lot of people listening will be like, four months, like try to go to school for seven, eight years and get a 4.0. And, and it's not to knock them. I, I truly look up to those people, but it just wasn't for me. Again, I don't have to follow the same metric that somebody else does. Or mm -hmm. again, with that self-knowledge, people say you have to have this compelling why, but I'm not going to chase somebody else's why. If I'm chasing somebody else's idea of what success is, I'm going to feel burned out. And it's not that I'm burned out. It's that I'm just doing shit that I don't care about. Absolutely. That's the difference. So 
thank you for letting me indulge in that because I think that's important for people to hear that, to understand that of course. it's not like you just went to New York and you started crushing it and you're like, ah, I'm going to go to LA and conquer the West Coast. And, and that's what allowed you to, to have the kind of skill set that you have. I would say it's never that simple and, um, and not even to steer this in a different direction. But I think, you know, from my experiences of, of the failures I've been through is I've almost in a mindset now to where I don't want to be one of those artists or photographers that, um, is competing over others. I don't follow other artists' work because I don't want to see it and compare my own to it. What I usually do is now I'm in the mindset of wanting to help others. And so I'm actually wanting to somehow maybe find a way that I can maybe get a group of veterans together that want to be photographers. Maybe they need a purpose or they need something and help teach them the basics of photography, going out in the field, composing and getting to use their equipment. Because I think too many people right now in my space as an artist care too much about themselves and when you start caring about others and helping others, you start to succeed more yourself. We learn who we are by serving others. I absolutely agree. Absolutely. That's the truth. To talk more about the book a little bit, we were talking about the importance of us trying to change the dialogue and changing the, the idea of what is going on. Because you have a person who has served their country or a person who is a veteran, and they've done that for so long, and then they transition out. And it's very hard because for so long, this has been what the mission is. Everything is based on this. Everything that is a priority, whether it be food consumption, water, PT, that all is towards this directive. And then you get out and it's over. And now there's nothing in the civilian world that has nearly the same sort of gravitas yeah. than what you just got done with. Can you talk to us a little bit about what that is and, and more about the book? Sure. I think, um, and I'm even going to quote, the gentleman that helped introduce us, JC Glick. Yeah, love it. Love JC. He's amazing. I love, he's an, an incredible guy and he, he's one of the veterans in our book. But I remember sitting down in his house in Long Island and he was sharing the four pillars and, mm -hmm. you know, of, of what it's like to transition as a veteran. One of those pillars was find yourself a mentor, but find yourself a civilian mentor as a veteran. And I think that's so spot on because some people might think that's ass backwards. Because they look at, well, civilians, they never served, how they know what I'm going through. But the thing is, is that you're not transitioning as a veteran back into being in the military. You're now stepping back into the civilian industry. So if you find somebody who's, you know, a civilian who's been in that market, in that industry for so long, they can help navigate you down the right path. And I think that for myself is on the road and interviewing these veterans and, and seeing maybe some of their personal struggles or you know, maybe they lack that connection and purpose with others. I think it's important to really focus on the things that you're good at or the things that you have interest in and really try and find, you know, the people that you can talk to. Don't focus so much on your past of, you know, just the veterans that you were with, right. you know, try and get out there and meet some of your friends that you knew maybe from high school or that, you know, that are civilians and just say, you know what, I don't want to sit myself in this this box in this house every single day and rely on the past or, or dwell on the past and the things that have happened to me. I really want to put myself out there and find the right opportunity to fall into because I think the one thing that civilians don't understand, including myself, that veterans do is veterans can overcome so many obstacles much quicker than the average civilian. You know, they were faced with, you know, a lot of difficult situations where at the snap of a finger they had to adapt to. And they understand leadership and communication and what it's like to serve as a team. So my main focus as a civilian is trying to change that narrative with the workforce industry that's mostly civilian and help teach some of those civilian companies that if you want to do service to a veteran, 
don't just write a check every single year to an organization, hire somebody, call the veteran, find whatever channel you can go through to have veterans resume, go through your, your stack of resumes through your HR department, see someone that's a veteran, give them a chance because I guarantee you they're going to bring a lot of just incredible self-improvement and growth and leadership roles to that company. I absolutely agree. And I like the point that you made about if you're a veteran transitioning into the civilian sector, finding a civilian mentor, because when you were a civilian going into the military, I guarantee there wasn't a civilian there that was a squad leader telling you how to square away your kid. Exactly. They were teaching you, this is the layout, this is what the formation is. It's way beyond just this idea of, okay, now you get up and do a job. And coming back into the civilian sector again, is so important to understand the dynamics. When I first got out, I just remember coming out and being really motivated to try to do stuff with this new work ethic, mm-hmm. this new ability to really focus. But again, a person who was working an hourly job, who was not motivated, who was demonstrating incompetence, so to speak, mm-hmm. you know, it was aggravating to me, but now I, and that's because I was so fresh out of it. It was hard for me to be objective at that point. It's hard for me to say this as a civilian, because I, I don't know what it's like to be a veteran, but I guess the mindset that I look at is you have to remove yourself from any prior experience you've had. Exactly. You have to really separate that military career and understand that when you step out and that uniform is hung up, that you're now stepping into a new role that you have to adapt to and you're starting from scratch. It doesn't have to be as difficult as you think it is, as long as you have the right people around you or you just, you have that go-getter mentality that you had in your military career. Don't stop that, carry that on into the civilian sector and really go after, you know, like I said, reaching out to friends or family or people that understand the market much more. But hell, it's the same as me being a civilian. If I wanted to learn about protecting myself more or leadership or learning how to work as a team, I'm going to go to a veteran over a civilian any day of the week. So that's why I look at as what JC said, it was so eye-opening to me, find that civilian counterpart, that mentor that's really going to help you in that industry. And JC has that beautiful I don't want to say balance, but it's a blend of Mm -hmm. the real world, you know, in the military of Lieutenant Colonel Ranger Battalion, like for real legit leadership. Oh yeah. And then being able to have this true pragmatic empathy, this capacity to actually reach out to that person, to bring your heart into it. And then understand that you have to meet that person where they are, whether they be a civilian, a veteran, Mm -hmm. a person transitioning from one world to the other. And once you're there now you can better help them because through our own adversity is what allows us to help other people navigate that environment as well. Yeah. And I think to help answer that second part of just what you touched on about the book is I think that working on this book, what started is when I, I moved my things into Dan's home with him and his family, because I moved from California, North Carolina. And I was telling him that I wanted to work on a photo book of my own photography, but I wanted to donate again to a different veteran organization. And I asked him what he thinks of what organizations would be the best to go through. And he was like, Hell, I'll give you even better. I've been wanting to find a way to connect myself with the veteran community since I got out. Why don't we do a photo book on veterans? And so we started researching the past 20 years and the name just came to us. It was like, wow, 2021 is the 20 year anniversary since we've had a conflict overseas since 2001. And so we were like, we're titling the book, The 20 Year War. I guess where I'm going with this is that as a civilian, I truly believe that I wanted to help understand veterans a little bit more myself because I only looked at veterans as being like these badass bearded pipe hitters and, you know, like the typical, like way that, that veterans are portrayed either that or on the the contrary, the broken vet who is just like, I hate to say it, like looking for a handout or is like really stuck 
in their own ways. And maybe there's organizations, and I think there's almost 16,000 now organizations out there that help benefit veterans, but there's still a major issue. So you can't just throw money at this. Um, And so I, I realized that I wanted to personally help I guess myself understand veterans because if I'm going to help try and change that narrative or help show other civilians, I need to learn it as much as I can myself. And so when I started talking to these veterans and seeing who they were outside of the uniform, I was like, man, these men and women are, are people too. Like they're just like me. They like beer. Like I do. They like to do their own barbecues. They like to go hunting or fishing or whatever. I realized that there's so much more to them that I think the civilian industry really understands them to be. And I think that that's the important message that we need to share. Each veteran is a multidimensional person. And like you were saying too, there's some people that want to hold on to that veteran identity when they get out. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with being proud of that. But there are some people that want to push that back. They want to get away from that. They want to distance themselves from that. Yeah. So again, if we're talking about the veteran who has mental health issues or is trying to repair this marriage or trying to reconnect with his children that if he's been deployed for the last three years and he hasn't got to see them, yeah, yeah, it's going to be difficult. And a lot of times too, as a, as a veteran, we don't have that skill set mm-hmm. because that skill set is now what we acquired in the heat of combat. Yeah. And I think that's something that I'm also learning more myself is you kind of realize that everybody has their own mental struggles and uh, you can't go into helping people with the same routine as the last person. So it's almost like in the same time, I'm kind of like, who am I to help try and understand what veterans have been through, who have seen fighting overseas, have seen the loss of their brothers and sisters. It's really hard for me to wrap my head around that. It's hard for me to almost like talk to people and, and be like, oh, you know, I know what you've been through, but try and do this and connect with others and find purpose because some of them are like, what's my purpose? I don't know. That's my struggle. And so I think the best thing for that is, is kind of finding connection is just clinging on to you had those brothers, you had those sisters when you're in uniform. So if you need to still take that somewhat and transition that into civilians and bring people into your circle, they won't understand you and the things you've done. Hell, they'll probably ask you some really stupid questions because a lot of us are very illiterate and we don't know how to communicate properly with veterans. But I think that if you can just find a way to keep that going rather than dwelling alone, I think that that's where you really start to slip away is anytime you remove yourself from People just because they think different and they don't understand, you actually further damage, you know, yourself. And I think that just being involved in a community and and maybe it's just trying to find a job, you know, don't look at it as hell if you were a command sergeant major and now you're getting out and you're thinking that you need you get to deserve to go into like a consulting company that pays you one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. It's not always going to work that way. Sometimes taking two steps back is going to make you take one step big forward. And so I think it's. If you got to go back and work that 15 to 20 hour job, which is not much, but you got to start somewhere to just keep you busy. I think that's going to help you much more than just kind of sitting around and waiting for that perfect opportunity to present itself. And it helps you acclimate. Sure. It helps you have a better idea of what's really going on Mm -hmm. to veterans that are listening for so long. Like all of our day was basically planned out. And if you were in the infantry, like your days really just didn't end. They just kind of blended together. Yeah. But when you get out and you're like, okay, now what am I supposed to do? What's my purpose? I would challenge you instead of asking somebody else what that is, I would ask you to connect like what Bo's saying. I would also say, maybe ask yourself, you know, 
again, what do you like? What do you enjoy? The journey that you talked about at the beginning of this, that's why I thought it was powerful, is so many times the hero's journey starts with coming back to the beginning, mm-hmm. coming back to that thing, whether it be what what did you do before you got in the military? Did you enjoy being outdoors? Did you enjoy reading? Did you enjoy hiking? Yeah. You can still do these things. You don't have to have a weapon in your hand to do it. Or if you enjoy hunting, by all means, do that. But understand that that is the beginning and that's where you can kind of pick up the track again. And now you're back onto this path or back onto this trail that may lead you somewhere that you never would have found any other way. Yeah. And I think that by all means, even if we come from different backgrounds or experiences, some of us are veterans, have served, some of us haven't. I can personally relate to a lot of people because I have my own struggles. I have my own things where I look at maybe there's art galleries out there that I want to be represented by that I email and call all the damn time and I don't even get an answer. And that really, you know, bothers me at times because I want to help myself grow and and get to that next level. So I have my own kind of issues with like when I basically quit fashion, I I rebooted, I restarted from scratch and I went into more fine art, like selling art for homes and doing more large scale art installations. But I had to, I had to understand sales. I had to work for other galleries and other artists, just understand how the industry worked. And I spent about five years doing that where I didn't even get to sell any of my work. I had to really understand the backbone. And kind of like to your point, Marcus, is I'm not just talking about work for veterans to get back into. I'm talking work out, go to the gym. That's the best thing that you can be doing to keep your mind focused and to really stay above the rest is I think that when you have physical conditioning and endurance and you're spending time with people and loved ones, maybe you're reading books about self-development, leadership or whatever interests you have as far as work or career-wise, read some books up on that. You're staying busy. You're keeping up with yourself. You're not just kind of letting it all slip away. So I think that it doesn't always need to start with work or a career. It can just start with your basic transition, but going to the gym, eating right. Uh, are you getting six to eight hours of sleep every night? It's kind of interesting how all these things play into your life and can really make you a healthier-minded person. It is. It's that entire full dimension and I'm a Bruce Lee fan, obviously. He says, absorb what is useful, discard what is useless, and add what is specifically your own. So in the military, we have these certain anchors where PT is drilled into you, being hydrated, you know, being squared away, having all your stuff in line. We can take those positive things to say, okay, like you said, exercise. But maybe you don't want to have to do like a 100-pound ruck march for 20 miles. Yeah. Maybe you just want to go for a leisurely run in the sun for half an hour. You don't have to do six minute miles. You can actually just go out, enjoy it, take off your shirt, get some sun exposure. Now you can let your mind kind of, it's like moving meditation. Yeah. And now you can do it something to where it's more specific to what you need at that moment. And even with books, you don't have to read Jocko's stuff. No. You don't have to read Goggin's stuff. You can read, there are plenty of other people that are out there, even if it's a military ideal, but understand that you don't have to hold on to, I have to do this stuff. If there's something that's caught your attention, Again, even with photography, even with what Bo does, mm-hmm. if you can look at his material and his content, it's got some just tremendously powerful images there. And that's something that may awaken something in you that you never knew was there. I totally agree. You know, something is better than nothing. And so if you're just trying to push yourself into making that transition easier, I don't think it's ever going to be the easiest blueprint that like a lot of people look for. But as long as you're making an effort yeah. to really get yourself out there, I think that there's really some truly amazing things and growth that can come from it. I absolutely agree. So of the 71 stories that are in the book, Mm -hmm. are there any that really set out for you? I mean, we we mentioned Tim Kennedy, we mentioned, you know, Boyer, we mentioned obviously JC, are there any ones that really, really stick out for you? Oh man, you're going to do that to me, huh? Putting me on the spot. (laughs) I want you to pick your favorite child right now in front of all 71 of them. Oh shit, that's hard. I mean, yes, I I, I have one that comes to mind and and literally just because it comes to mind. 
as we're sitting here talking about the things that we're uh, discussing. The gentleman's name is Joe Cerna, a Green Beret who cheated death three times, was, you know, blown up by an ID, was blown up by a hand grenade, was in a, like an MRAP type vehicle that flipped over in a ravine and basically drowned to death and still made it out. It's just incredible his story. And I remember sitting down inside of the back of his friend's car while I was pouring down rain in Fayetteville, North Carolina, and I was recording his story on my phone. I spent about two months driving across the United States three times, and I crossed 42 states interviewing 71 veterans. And so this process basically would be me meeting them always in person to take their photo, but also to record their story on my phone, which was later being transcribed by Tom. And so when I met with Joe, it was pouring down rain. I took his portrait down in downtown Fayetteville. I remember we were just sitting in the car getting cover from the rain, and I was just recording this on my phone. And I remember like my hand was kind of like shaking because I was just listening to a story and I was like, how is this guy still like smiling at me and so full of joy and positivity after seeing these experiences? I, I don't know. I mean, I just think of myself and maybe others out there that might've gone through those experiences that were, man, I feel like I'd be really broken compared to how he was. And it was just truly an incredible moment. And I think that not even to single him out, I got to give it to even the other men and women, the other 70 veterans are in this book because they all have unique stories. And I got to be honest, that was one issue that I, I thought personally I'd run into where I was just going to keep hearing the same story over and over. And it wasn't, it was like incredible. Like every single person, there were some that I interviewed for a day and, and I would spend an hour or two with them. I mean, I'd spend all day long from like sunrise to sunset with these four different people and then go back to a cheap motel lay my head down and be thinking about that whole day and be like, damn, man, like these stories are so unique. And am I ever going to run into the same thing twice? And I don't think I did once. There's as many stories as there are colors in the yeah. rainbow. And there's as many, you know, we may have this, this patriotic idea when we join, or we may have this, I'm going to go defeat the enemy kind of idea. Mm-hmm. And that stays with us. But then there are other components to it. Again, the brotherhood about the idea of, I remember my squad leader telling me one time there was a guy that was uh not squared away. And he's like, if I have to knock on somebody's door and tell them that I lost somebody because you didn't have your shit together. Yeah. He's like, I'm fucking taking you with me. And it was again, like that kind of just in your face, very real, very raw. Cause I've seen it. I've been there. I've done it. He said, that's what I don't want to happen. He's like, and if you don't have your, your food or if you don't have ammo, people can die. We need that more. We need that. And some people, I feel like I don't want to even get into like that side of things. But I just think that where we are nowadays is a lot of people can't take criticism very well. And I think that they can't take it at all. Let's, let's be honest. They can't take it at all. I say it over and over again with podcasts that I've done with other things that, man, sometimes getting punched in the face is the best thing that can happen to you. Because honestly, it, I couldn't agree. Yeah. It humiliates you. And like, no one does anymore. Like you can't just go on the street and have a fist fight, pull each other up off the street, shake hands, and be like, let's go grab a beer. We're friends now. It just doesn't happen. Like most people now will press charges or they'll, I don't know, it just, it gets so violent now. And it's just like, I don't understand how we've kind of come to this point now to where we're so scared of confrontation and learning because sometimes people checking you as real as that, you know, man was to others is sometimes you need that to really help you grow. That's it. And we don't have the luxury of being philosophical in the heat of battle. No. You just don't. You have to have your shit together. You have to be willing to keep moving forward when it's difficult. Mm-hmm. You have to embrace that that idea. 
in my TEDx talk, I say the physical manifestation of adversity is an adversary, yeah. an opponent. And though it sounds counterintuitive, that opponent is your best teacher because he will pull no punches. He wears his hate for you openly on his sleeve. It's impossible to misconstrue his intent. Yep. And even though he wants to do you harm, at least there is that real honesty. Of there. course. And you know exactly where you stand. There's no question of, is he going to stab me in the back when I turn around? It's like, no, at least we're mano a mano and we at least have eyes on each other at this point. Yep. And in today's society, like you said, if you say something that offends me or I like to feign to be offended and I love to play the victim and I can't wait to be offended by the next person. Now I want to shut you up and I want to take your liberty of being able to speak your yep. mind, even though as veterans, veterans fought to allow this person the luxury voicing their opinion yeah. in the first place. So it's it's very difficult sometimes to maintain that level of integrity. And even then, to take the high road when you have a person who is clearly not going to use the ethical, mm -hmm. it's intellectual cowardice is what it is. I agree. You have to decide, do you want to, is this even worth encountering or should we just walk away and move on? But unfortunately, people often take that as weakness. Yeah. And I think to kind of go back and tie in this book, I think that there couldn't have been a better time. I mean, obviously the 20 year war, the 20 year anniversary, it was like, we have to capitalize on it this year. Yeah. Because this is kind of like, it's not one of those books that I think it'll continue to do well a few years from now, but really it's like, this is the year to really help change that narrative and share the stories of, I mean, 71 isn't even a scratch in the surface of how many veterans have been at war in the past 20 years. But I truly believe that it was enough that we wanted to at least just share that message and, and share some of their stories and honor the men and women that are featured in that book alongside everybody else that has been part of that war, global war on terrorism. And I, I truly feel like our country is, is so divided with a lot of things nowadays that this was a project that I felt like a lot of people won't give a shit about it, but there may be those few and far in between that'll be veterans or family members that have served or friends or maybe civilians take interest in it like I did. And it's enough to help kind of bring us together I'm fortunate enough that I hope that people, when they do pick up the book and they, they flip through every page and they see the portraits and the raw images that I've taken of the men and women, and then they read their story and they see that after photo that I took and those before photos of some of their deployment photos, that they kind of just see inside each of those veterans, there's something in themselves and they can relate to a lot of those stories and it can help produce positivity and help share the idea that these men and women have struggled too. But a lot of these people have found success after hanging up the uniform. Some of these people have started up multi-million dollar businesses. Some of them are just getting their bearings right, you know, after 12 years of being out of service, but have finally come out and wanted to share their story in a positive light. And I just hope that that's kind of enough to help veterans especially understand and truly believe in themselves, whether they're struggling or whether they're just having a hard time adapting and, and transitioning. I think that people often forget the warrior or the veteran. That person was in that place at that moment. Mm -hmm. And that was that, that place in time. But that doesn't define who they are forever no. in a negative way. Like you said, there's some people that are maybe even standoffish from hiring a veteran because they're afraid there may be some sort of baggage attached to that. But the understanding is anybody that you talk to, whether they were deployed or whether there was domestic violence or there was alcohol or there was sexual battery, whatever it was, we all have these things. So if we can look at each other and have that sort of empathy and say, you know, the humanity in me recognizes the humanity in you and together we can cultivate something that's powerful to help Absolutely. other people as opposed to it being this idea of this big divide or this political ideology or this religious ideology or lack thereof or, or whatever it is, 
if we can look for the similarities instead of the differences, that's when we're going to have the best opportunity to start creating more cohesiveness in this country. For sure. And I, and I think that, correct me if I'm wrong, Marcus, but I just think that, I think the term PTSD is thrown around way too loosely. And I think that a lot of people do suffer from it. I'm not disagreeing with that whatsoever. But I just think that the media and I think that the average person throws that around so loosely that we as a society have become kind of scared of it to where when the workforce industry is hiring veterans, that's the immediately like thing that they think about. Oh, this guy served overseas. Did he kill people? Is he going to freak out in the break room on somebody? And it's, it's always kind of like that conversation of like, I think that when you hire veterans, you need to give them that proper chance to really help grow within your company and your business. You know, don't just kind of hire them and give them a week or two and be like, oh, he cusses too much because he was used to being around these types of people and it's not a good fit. It's like, what else can they bring though? Like maybe there's not every single checkpoint you're going to agree with, with them. But I truly believe that if you give them the time to help adapt and overcome some of those things that they've been exposed to for so long, and then they start to transition and expose themselves to a different community that they can really help that business and that company grow. It's just about giving it time. Nobody becomes a millionaire overnight. It's just like every veteran is not going to help promote your company overnight. But I think that by hiring somebody that understands leadership and problem solving as much as veterans do, your company is really going to benefit from it. And I think that's a conversation that needs to start happening more rather than, oh, I'm going to be gambling with this PTSD thing. And it's like, I just, I don't know. I think it's just thrown around way too much personally. I agree. It's the boogeyman in today's society. And people look at PTSD, but they don't look at the PTSG, the Mm -hmm. post-traumatic stress growth. If you and I run as hard as we can, we're adapting. It's that stress that's post-traumatic. That's after the trauma Mm -hmm. of lifting weights or running or whatever it is. This is what's needed to adapt. We have to have some sort of adversity that forces adaptation. The idea that it's a disorder, like you said, is because a person becomes compartmentalized. Now they're not able to really come back into that. But again, it's the same thing. When I coach CEOs, you may have a CEO of a multi-million dollar company, yeah. but if he thinks that he can come home and talk to his wife and order her around the way that he does people that work for him or the CMO or talk to his kids the way that he would a person who works at the very bottom level of his company, that doesn't justify any of that any different than another person that came back and said, you know, this person's soft and they don't have their shit together. It's like, well, both of these areas are places that we can improve. Absolutely. And something else, if you have a veteran that comes in that has some experience, they can usually almost sniff out things in other people that can help other areas as well. Oh, totally. And they can even cultivate those places where maybe that person was in a place where they didn't feel value. They didn't feel self-worth, right? You know what the great thing is, is that most of the contacts on my phone now are veterans just from this project. So you know what'd be great is to go to like a some kind of event and spend like a week with just me being around veterans. I guarantee you, I'm going to find out so much about myself that I didn't even know where they're going to they're going to sniff out, like you just said, and spot out things and flaws and be like, Bo, now you're acting like a fucking idiot right now. Or you're doing this or you're doing that. And I'm like, oh, I'd never noticed that. Yeah, that's a good point of putting it out there. And I think that using that term again, veterans sniffing out things in businesses, it doesn't even have to be about personality traits. It can just be about finding out problems and solving them much quicker than the average civilian to help your business and your community and the leadership within that business grow. Yeah, sometimes the best compliment that you can give somebody in business is to be direct. Absolutely. Sometimes that compliment of being blunt is not always well received. But in the end, if you're the person who's one of the stakeholders, Mm -hmm. you may want to shoot the messenger. But if they're telling you the truth, 
you may be needing to thank that person before you get, you know, yeah. kind of upset that they pointed out this thing that is an elephant in the room that maybe everybody else knows about. If I talk to leaders and I'm the only person that's like shooting it to them straight, when everybody else is a yes man and everybody else is telling them how great it is, I'm much more valuable to them. Absolutely. Because I have no reason to lie to them. I want them to win. My paycheck isn't based on this quarter. My paycheck is based on how can they change? How can they adapt? How can they help the people around them? It's much deeper than just this idea of, oh, you should be doing X, Y, and Z. It's like, that's not enough. Yeah. Anybody can have those ideas, but getting to, like you said, back to what we talked about before, that knowledge, mm-hmm. knowing what's really important to you, making a priority a priority, not somebody else's idea of what that should be. And that's why this book is so powerful because it shows people in the heat of battle, what's the priority, what's important. 100%. And I think people will get a lot from this book in that, in that capacity. Yeah, absolutely. Bo, thank you so much. I think that's a great place for us to put a bow on this. Are there any parting words? We can go to 20yearwar.com to order this. The official release date is September 11th, but we can start pre-ordering it now, correct? Correct. Yeah. So uh, the initial run, there's a limited number on them. So I would say that, you know, when people are pre-ordering now, the benefits of pre-ordering now is they'll obviously get the book a little bit earlier than September 11th. But yes, the book goes in a pub date and I believe mid-August. So they'll probably get it a week or two before initial release. There's a couple of different options. People can choose from a limited edition or a standard. 20yearwar.com is where they can find the book. Um, Obviously, Amazon has them too. I would say directly through our site, 20yearwar.com, we're actually donating proceeds to organizations that we're rotating on on a constant basis. And you're just going to give more to the community by going directly to the site. Hate to toot my own horn, the website, but Amazon is a billion dollar company for a reason. (laughs) I was going to say, if you're a veteran and you care about this, take the extra 10 seconds to actually go to 20yearwar.com. You'll get to see more about Bo, more about everybody that created this book, more about the people that are in it. You'll get just a spattering of what it really is. I can't emphasize enough how important this mission is because for so many people, this was their life for the the 20 years. And if it wasn't you directly in the war, you probably knew somebody or you were probably affected by somebody. Somebody, you may have had a relationship with somebody who was involved in it in some some way, shape or form. So to think that this is not reach out and have some sort of residue on your current existence is just uh, wishful thinking at the best. Yeah. And I know we're, our team is very excited about it. It's a, a very thick coffee table book. Yeah. It's 12 inches by 12 inches. It's probably the biggest veteran photo book I think we've seen. And um, we've definitely put a lot of time into it, hoping that people really appreciate it as much as we do. Well, it's tremendous quality. And I think in everything that you guys are doing, you're always looking for quality over quantity. Absolutely. And I think that that alone should be the thing that people should... Uh, that should be the indicator to go grab it. So if you're listening now, go to the website, get it now, 20yearwar.com, get multiple copies. If you know a veteran, grab one for them. I'm sure they'll appreciate it. And even if you're not, I don't think that you will be disappointed when you see what's in the book. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for the show, uh, Marcus. I really appreciate being on. I appreciate you as well. Your website is Bo Simmons. Photography.com. Photography.com. Yeah, or people can just find me, social media, Instagram. Beautiful. Bo Simmons. Fantastic. Say hello, shoot me a link, and I look forward to connecting with more people. And uh, thanks again for having me on. Thank you for being here, my friend. Take care. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of Okta Nonverba. If this message resonates with you, please share it out with others on social media. Hit that subscribe button and leave a review for the show anywhere you listen to podcasts. To learn more, please go to MarcusAureliusAnderson.com and join his Okta Nonverba inner circle to get exclusive content, news, and information. Until next time, remember, talk is cheap. Live your life based on actions, not words.